0: Hello, and welcome to the Heredity Podcast with me, Dr. James Bergen. Today, we're bringing you episode 3 of our deep dive into the people behind the journal, our heredity editors. Now, last time we heard from Dr. Mark Sift, an evolutionary geneticist at the University of Konstanz. That was one of several recorded live and in person at the Heredity Board meeting. And today, we're bringing you another, as we meet the incredibly charismatic Professor Dario Garapapalia. Dario has spent most of his life in Brazil, where he originally trained as a forest engineer. And this fairly unique applied focus has influenced both his plant genetics research and his role as an editor. And more than most, I think his story highlights the versatility of a career in science. So, here it is. Welcome to the Heredity Podcast. First up, could you just introduce yourself?
1: Sure, yes. Uh, my name is Dario Gratapaglia. I am actually Italian by birth, and, but I li- live and work in Brazil. I've been living there for 45 years now, so I've done all my career there. And uh, I'm a forest engineer by training, and I got my PhD at North Carolina State University in genetics back in 94. So my main interest and work has been with forest trees, not only planted forest trees, but also uh, native forest trees from the tropical biomes. So those are the two areas that I've been working with, both population genetics of uh tropical trees which uh, you know we have lots of species and lots of interesting questions and very few people working on, on those trees actually just because you know we have fewer scientists in brazil and on the other side is uh, working with planted forests more toward breeding applications using genetic and now genomic data oh perfect yeah and I
0: guess one thing that's interesting there is you kind of mentioned your entry and your background and you do have a bit of an unusual background compared to some of our other editors. So, yeah. how did you get into academia from essentially industry?
1: Yes. Uh so my, you know, I I graduated back in 85 in force engineering, but I also had had an interest in, in in science and research and you know during my undergrad I worked with uh isozymes and and uh, protein electrophoresis looking actually at cassava, which the only professor that was working with genetics at the university, he worked with uh, native cassava species. So when I, but when I graduated, then I went to work for the industry. Right away, I got a job in the first plant biotechnology company in South America. And of course, in 1986, plant biotechnology was basically tissue culture. Okay, But then in 1988, we started doing RFLP work because the company I used to work for was owned by an American company that was connected to a few universities in the U.S. that started doing molecular markers in plants, RFLPs at the time. So we started actually doing RFLP work in 1988 in Brazil. So in 1990, I quit my job. I wanted to get a Ph.D., and I got a scholarship from the Brazilian government, and I went, look for a place where I could actually keep working on markers in trees because i started working in forest trees in my job and i found a great place which was north carolina state which is a like a mecca of forest genetics and applied forest genetics and that's where i you know started working with uh, more on an applied side of things always uh, trying to go for uh, real applications of At the time, molecular markers, basically, we started doing rapid markers in in forest trees. That was, you know, and then, of course, when I finished, I did all my PhD working on on eucalypts. And uh, when I went back to Brazil, I got a job at Embrapa, where I've been working since then, which is the Brazilian Corporation of Agricultural Research. And since then, I've been collaborating strongly with the forest industry. In planted forest, but at the same time, our mission in the lab that I run, the plant genetics lab at the National Center for uh, Genetic Resources and Biotechnology, also deals with uh, germplasm conservation and population genetics and conservation of plants in general. But then, of course, I, my interest in trees, uh, you know, kept uh, <laughs> driving me to this to this area. Um, Definitely,
0: and I mean, yeah. you've, you've sort of touched upon it quite a lot, your various research threads, and it's all very yeah. tree-related. Yeah. But I wonder if you could tell us sort of specifically what it is that your research is focusing on these days.
1: Sure, yes. Uh, so, ever since my PhD, actually, I had as an interest, especially considering that the breeding uh, cycles in, in trees are long. Even in tropical eucalypts, we're talking about 15-year long breeding cycle. Anything you can do to actually speed up this, accelerate the breeding cycles of, of a re- recurrent selection program, has a great value to it. There always has been great expectation in using marker-assisted selection to speed up tree breeding, perennial breeding in general. So that that was my main interest. And I would say, of course, at the beginning, we didn't really have very good molecular marker tools, uh, to begin with. So we started developing microsatellite markers in 1996 in Brazil. And it was really interesting because we well, we started working with rice and eucalypts in the lab because those were two major crops, I would say, that uh, had support for this kind of work. But then soon we started also developing microsatellite markers for a number of tropical trees. In fact, I think we developed microsatellite for more than 30 species between 1996 and 1999, which was still, you know, at the beginning of microsatellite development in plants. And so those tools allowed us to actually start doing some neat population genetics in in tropical trees that had never been done. In fact, one of the first papers we published in Heredity was on on the population genetics of, uh, you know, very... Famous trees in Brazil, which is uh, cariocar brasiliensis. It's a you know, it, it gives fruit and it's a very important iconic species, uh, keystone species in the savanna cerrado of Brazil. And so you know, and then of course we moved on into other technologies, sequencing in, in eucalyptus mainly. We just then we had a large project where we put together. 15 forest-based industries to start actually developing genomic resources for uh, for eucalypts. And then, of course, the, the, the story is long. We had lots of <laughs> things going until we actually sequenced the, the eucalyptus genome. We published in Nature in 2013. And starting in 2007, we started moving into genomic prediction, which is actually the it's a breeding method that that is really revolutionizing breeding in general, not only, of course, they started in, in uh, animals, basically bovine, uh, dairy cattle, and this has actually now moved into forest trees and, and crops, and this is what the main interest uh, as far as applied genomics into breeding has been so far, yeah. Oh, fantastic.
0: Yeah. One thing you kind of can't miss there is how long you've been working on this and yeah. how much effort's been going into it. Yeah. And I wonder, like, what is it that's kept you motivated
1: all this time? Why
0: Why yes. are you doing this work?
1: You see, I always uh, talk to my students and I say, you know, there's a time in life that you might have to decide if you're going to be a scientist or an engineer, or more of a scientist or more of an engineer. Basically, if you're more interested in solving actual problems and, turning technology into use to generate wealth. Let's put it this way, you know, to, or if you're more interested in in finding out mechanisms and uh, understanding phenomena. And of course, trees are not model systems, okay? So I, I told my students, look, if you're interested in doing some basic stuff, just forget about trees, you know, this is not the place to do it. Go to Arabidopsis (laughs) to see elegans, rosophila, okay? Now, if you want to stay here, you're going to have a chance to work at the interface between genomics, population genetics, but also breeding, and you might have a bit of a wider spectrum that will allow you to have a wider spectrum of opportunities of jobs. In fact, most of the students that uh, came through my lab and has been quite a few. Most of them either work for uh, Embrapa, some for universities, but a good number of people actually work in industry. And so I think this has been very rewarding to me because I see people actually making differences. Okay, so this actually was, was has driven me in many ways, you know, just trying to train people to understand the basics of genetics, uh, molecular genetics, but also having this view of applying the, the, the knowledge and the technology to solve problems. Okay. So that's you know so I probably more of an engineer <laughs> with a scientific <laughs> interest than a science scientist with an engineering interest.
0: Okay. <laughs> but that is a really interesting mix. Like it, yeah. it must lead to some really interesting research. Yeah.
1: And and this, of course, also has to do with the fact that Brazil is a country. We still need a lot of people getting into solving problems. Okay, in in agriculture is of course it's a big thing in Brazil, and so there are lots of jobs for for young people in this area. And so this also has been something that has driven me. I mean, it's it's always very good to see people coming out of your lab in, and getting jobs and making a difference. Okay, so this is really a very important thing to me. Yeah. No. Oh, perfect. Yeah.
2: Remember cameras, what people had before mobiles with cameras. Time to pre-order the new Samsung Galaxy S20 Ultra 5G with their best camera ever. Ultra wide 100 times space zoom. Trade in your old device for up to 350 pounds off and you get wireless Galaxy Buds Plus free. Pull the switcheroo to the Samsung Galaxy S20 Ultra 5G at Carphone Warehouse. Pre-order my March 8th. Claim on device March 10th to April 12th. T and C supply max trade in value based on working S10C website. Hello, I'm Gemma Kearney, and I'm back for a brand new series of Sorry Not Sorry, brought to you by Galaxy Chocolate, a podcast helping you take the time to actively choose pleasure. This week, I'm joined by Nicola Adams, double Olympic gold medalist and officially Great Britain's most successful female boxer of all time. When I was going into the 2012 Olympics, I remember my coach saying to me, women's boxing is resting on your shoulders right now. Want to hear the full chat? Yeah, you do. Subscribe to Sorry Not Sorry now on your favourite podcast platform.
0: And I guess it would be kind of nice to move on to um, another aspect of what you do, which is sure. being an editor here at Heredity. Sure. Um, so, I mean, you've published your own work here. I mean, I think you're a fairly new editor. Yeah. So I wonder what it is you like about Heredity and why you decided to join the editorial
1: team. Sure. Yes. I, you know, I work as, edit- as an editor for three genets and genomes for 12 years, I guess. And so after those 12 years, I was actually the oldest editor there. And I said to the chief editor, I said, look, I think it's time for me to move on and bring new people in. And he said, "Okay, sure, no problem. You know, I'll miss you. But I think it's a good idea. And then I left TGG. And, and, you know, a few months later, I got an email from Barbara. And I think Kermit Ritland had left the editorial board, and and so Barbara said, you know, I think, you know, Kermit suggested your name, what do you think? I said, that would be an honor, because I think Heredity is a very traditional journal, and and, uh, I think tradition is important. Another thing is, it's a journal that's connected to a a scientific society, and I think this is important too. I'm also editor of the uh, journal of the Brazilian Genetic Society, which is a pretty large society, and It's a pretty good journal as well, and I think it's important to be part of of something that has a long history, okay? So especially today that you see lots of journals popping out all over the place, and I think uh, we see important journals like Heredity that have tradition and and are read, people use those as references, okay? So I think it's it's really a, a privilege to be part of the editorial board.
0: Yeah, uh, no, I I liked the journal before I was involved with it as well, and exactly, it, it's it's nice because I've I've done a few of these style of interviews now, and this connection with the society is exactly. really important to a lot of researchers, and I think it's hard to yeah. overstate the, exactly the role of
1: that and, and, and you know those those are journals that have been around for many many years, and so you see like like seminal papers being published, and I think it's, it's you know heredity genetics, so those journals that have long tradition in the area so i think sometimes people worry too much about impact factor and understand those things you know matter but <laughs> i think uh, other things are important and so i think heredity for me has been you know a great uh, opportunity you yeah. know yeah for sure
0: and i guess i'm also kind of interested in sort of the role of an editor in general mm-hmm. um and you kind of bring a unique perspective to the journal and i yeah. wonder what it is you are looking for in a paper when it comes to you
1: very good uh okay uh it ends up given my interest and my background and 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 what i've done i I'm, i usually get papers uh, related to breeding, breeding methods, uh, you know use of markers into solving breeding issue, developing new methods, and so on and I think this is very important. I think this is an area of genetics. in fact, the beginning of the genetic society was actually related to animal breeding so if you if you go back to the where it started from, it had to do with breeding. so I think heredity has this uh, you know this one of the purposes and missions. So what I look into this, uh, into, into papers that come, I, I look for things that are novel, that are interesting, that are useful, that people will actually uh, see this and, and have new ideas on how to apply to their system. And so this is really what what, uh, what I look for. And of course, it has to be well-run experiments. And usually in breeding, you, you look at, you know, designs and Models and how people have done it, how solid it is. also, for example, uh, when markers are used, we look at the at the quality of the marker data and sometimes uh, you know th- this is very important if you if you want to use molecular markers in breeding, you have to use methods that you can actually replicate the data, especially if you're going to be using this across breeding generation, you have to be able, for example, in genomic prediction you have to be able to develop. Prediction models that are based on marker data that you can actually re-genotype and get an accuracy of 99.9% two or three years from now. So this is important. And sometimes we see some methods being used that are not really replicable. Okay, <laughs> and so, so you know, it's like you know, sometimes you see things that I call methods that are for you know never to be repeated studies. You know, like you publish and that's it. So. That's important. When you think about breathing, you have to, you know, get something done that can be repeated. Otherwise, it's not going to be useful. Um, you have to be able that... to apply it. Exactly. The <laughs> data has to be available, you know, and Heredity requires the data to be available so that people can actually check on that. I think this is really important, you know. I, I look for that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's some, some good tips for people looking to publish. Oh, yeah. Um, and I guess it, it's really obvious how passionate you are about all of this. Um, but I wonder if there's anything sort of in your field more broadly or in research culture more generally that you're also particularly passionate about
1: promoting. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the other side of things that we've done, it's really population genetics and conservation of, of tropical trees. And this is an area that, uh, you know, we've done some work, I collaborate with some people. I've trained people that do, you know, Ex uh, students of mine that are professors are, do a very good job in this, and I think this is very important too. And again, it's my bias. I think it's nice when you actually generate data that can actually help in devising strategies for conserving, for managing, uh, for collecting a uh, germ plan for ex conservation. You know, I, I have this uh, p- applied bias, I don't <laughs> <you> know. <laughs> You know, especially because funding in Brazil, it's it's limited, okay? Mm. So we only have so much funding and we have many problems. So we have to try to optimize as much as possible funding we have. And uh, because we have, you know, huge forest. You know, Brazil has 850 million hectares of land. 550 million hectares are untouched forest, okay? And sometimes people don't realize that. So more than half of the country, it's almost it's basically a national park. And so we have, in a single hectare of, of Atlantic forest or Amazon forest, you have, you know, tens and t- hundreds of tree species. I'm not talking about plant species in general. So the the issues that we have are much more complex sometimes than a, than a temperate forest. And the number of species that require work uh, and, and it, it's huge you know? so, so this is I think it's important to remember that and especially when you live in a country that has this diversity available uh, opportunities for studies and so it's, it's just amazing yeah
0: the the diversity is a bit absurd and I, yeah. I guess I kind of like it when you were talking there a bit about uh, making sure that there's like the applied function because yeah I feel that's very much an engineering mindset as very well. Very much. Like yeah. Looking for the sort of positive change in everything that you exactly. do. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Again, I I mean resources will always be limited, okay? And so if there are scars, we have we have to optimize them. And and so at the end of the day, uh, you know, you you have to work within the reality of what's available, you know. So I think it's important. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, thank you very much for taking the
0: time to talk to us and sharing your work and your passions and your joy of heredity. Uh, sure.
1: Thanks a lot, Jason, for the opportunity and uh, any time. <laughs> Perfect.
0: Hopefully you're feeling inspired by Dario to submit your papers to heredity. You can find out how to do that on our website. That's nature.com forward slash HDY. And I know we're running a bit long, but let's quickly check in with Kat Arney over at Genetics Unzipped. <laughs>
2: The human evolutionary family tree isn't a straightforward linear progression from ancient ape to modern human, but a complex tangled web of interrelated and interbreeding species. People don't stay in one place, and they aren't always picky when it comes to picking a mate. Add up the effects over thousands and thousands of years, and it's easy to see why trying to understand and compare the genetics of modern populations in different parts of the world is a challenging task. The truth is that the more we study human populations on a genomic level, the more diversity we find. But as we discover from Adam Rutherford, author of the new book How to Argue with a Racist, we should be on guard against those who would wish to crudely slice this rich and complex tapestry of global human genetics for political ends. We also go hunting for ghosts in the human genome and recreate the discovery of the DNA double helix in Lego. Genetics Unzip is brought to you by the Genetics Society. Listen and download now from geneticsunzip.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: I can't lie, I audibly gasped when I heard that Adam Rutherford was going to be on Cats podcast. Please do go and give it a listen. But for us, that's it. Please subscribe to the Heredity podcast on the platform of your choice. And give us a follow on Twitter, at Heredity Journal. If you want to get in touch with me directly, drop me an email at hereditypodcast.gen at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm James Bergen. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Dr Chris, and you may know my podcast, The Naked Scientists. And this week, we're proud to be sponsored by Microsoft. of blindness is preventable, and that's why Forest Health uses Microsoft AI to scan retinal images and spot patients at risk so they can get treatment from an
1: eye doctor. More at microsoft.com slash AI.